Hello, my good buds. Welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review satirizing the dumb news of the month that was. The first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. This particular show was recorded on February 7th, 2018. I do hope you enjoy it. a live monthly news review satirizing the news of the past month. This is our first show of 2018. How are you doing, everybody? But first, to kick it off, we have our own Kevin Johnson with the news you might not remember and the news you wish wasn't true. Despite what she said, I, I have nothing in here about Roy Moore. I just need you to know that. Um, so yeah, this is a very simple game. I'm gonna have like three sets of stories. You just tell me what shit is fake, right? It's easy. But for that, I need a volunteer. And you'll get a nice little skewer swag. Ooh, you can put it on your drawer like when you were in like fucking elementary school and you did that shit and then it never peeled off. I don't know, whatever. Someone. You. Hey there. Hello. What's your name? I'm Noah. A lot of people did say that. My name's Kevin. <laughs> All right. There's a podcast. We got to make sure it goes into the mic so people can hear it. You know, you know. You good? You I think good? so. You ready? Okay. Yep. All right. First story. Saudi Arabia begins screening the films after a decade-long ban lifted. And they started with Disney's Aladdin. Second story. There's a Holocaust denier running unopposed in Illinois for the GOP congressional primary. Mm. Third story. Uh, Nancy Pelosi goes where no other political leader has gone before. RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> All right. So unfortunately, I know that second one is true. And so I just had a little rage aneurysm when you said that is all. Yeah. Uh, so I think I heard, I remember hearing something about RuPaul and Nancy. So I'm going to go with the first one being untrue. You're correct. So, yeah, there was a bail lifted. The movie was not Aladdin. It is the Emoji movie. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Right now, classic. And then they immediately banned movies again. It was fucking weird. Okay. Second set of stories. Uh, Tennessee man flips his car five times after letting Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> Story two. A man tore a hole in his intestines trying to hold back a fart. Just let it rip, man. Third story. Ikea ad reveals coupon when pregnant women pee on it. Uh, I feel like that last one is too weird to not be true. Or is it too weird to not not be true? Um, get it in my head. Mm. I'm going to go with the intestine one. You're right again. Oh. Yeah. I, want, I want to let people know that no one has gone three for three. And I, I, I said, when I was sitting down, the first person that does that, I will give you my drink ticket. Oh. 
So if you want, like, I think it's transferable, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, no pressure. Yeah, I'll get your hand picked. Okay. Oh, so yeah, just, just to let you guys know, um, the change in that story, like, a guy was actually holding back a sneeze and tore, like, a little hole in his esophagus. Ooh. Okay, third set of stories. A man fools officer with a man uh, with a car made of snow and gets a real parking ticket anyway. <laughs> uh. Second story. A dozen camels were banned from a Saudi beauty contest after judges discovered their owners were using Botox to enhance the animal's features. Third story. Apple loses legal battle to an Italian clothing company named Steve Jobs. I heard about the camels. I'm pretty sure that's true. Uh, what was the first one again? Um, the car made of snow, but the real ticket. I want that one to be real, so I'm going to go with the last one is fake. We were so close. Oh. We were so close. They, got, they gave him a fake ticket. Everything was cool. <laughs> it was like, you know, the, the cops played along, I guess. But yeah, there's an Italian clothing company named Steve Jobs. If anyone ever goes overseas. Is it, pronoun- is it pronounced Steve Jobs or is it like Steve Jobs? I was not prepared for that question. Uh, it's whatever you want it to be. I can live with that. Thank you. Thank you, Noah. Thank you. You performed admirably. Now I invite Erica back up to perform the rest of the skewer. Thank you so much, Kevin. We're going to open the show now. The title of this opener is It's Getting Worse. It's getting worse out there. I've seen it from the front lines of humanity, a.k.a. the public bus. So I was on the Addison bus the other day, and an old white guy in a wheelchair wearing a scuffed-up Marines jacket got on. He made a big point of getting the driver to ask a dude to move so he could secure his chair. The driver said, why don't you ask him yourself? Which was what I was thinking, too. The old white guy stage shouted, I don't want the hassle! But which I took to mean he didn't want to speak directly to the large black dude occupying the spot. So... The driver helped, the big dude got up, the old guy secured his wheelchair. That's when I heard a loud, Super Boy! And a different, younger white guy came to the front of the bus and said to the old guy, You're a Marine too, right, Andrew? I remember you. You're a Marine, said the older guy. Well, not anymore. You know, said the younger guy. So let me, let me set the picture of the younger guy. He was, his voice was a lot like David Sedaris's voice, so I'm going to call him David he was probably early 40s, trench coat, mascara, bleach blonde hair, and purple shirt. And he had a puffy build, like he had not been a Marine in a long time. <laughs> and I thought, okay, the Leathernecks are going to have a place to focus their energy and they'll stop loudly performing for us. But then David engaged Andrew in good old chants from the Marines, like, kill, kill. <laughs> and they entered loud discourse about how much they liked Donald Trump. I like him! said Andrew, stage shouting again. You like him? I like him as a businessman, said David. I wanted to ask, which businesses? How about the failing international hotels? How about Trump Steaks? How about Trump University, which paid a $25 million fraud, fraud, fraud settlement to its students? 
How about Trump menswear made in China? How about the, what the tax law will do to the national debt, small businesses, and science research, to name a few? Andrew said, unemployment's at a record low. <laughs> the stock market keeps going up and up and up. That was true at the time. <laughs> Do you like how tourism is down four and a half billion dollars? I yelled at these two idiots with my mind, obviously. They had just been chanting, kill, kill. But in my mind, I really had them on the ropes with my informed yelling. Do you like that AT&T took their tax break and laid off a thousand people? Do you like how Huggies used their tax break to lay off 5,000 people? Do you like how Walmart took their tax break and laid off 11,000 people? Do you like nuclear war? Do you like nuclear winter? But they'd already slip-slided topics to how we need the wall because otherwise Mexico is going to take over. Yeesh! I shouted, again, mentally, because I'm a social justice coward. It's not like Mexicans now make up the minority of unauthorized immigrants. It's not like the United States literally stole Mexican land in the first place. Oh, wait. And I'd keep going. Did you like the Nunes memo? Did you read the Nunes memo? Do you like the Constitution? Do you like how President Deals can't keep the government running? But as lizards slither on the riverbank, Andrew and David had already moved on. Now they were talking about the big black dude, the one from the beginning of this story, who stood in the bus vestibule talking to the driver. And Andrew and David were saying, oh yeah, they bet he was armed. They bet he had a gun. And then fantasized about what they'd do if he tried to use the gun. Meanwhile, here's me. Hey! Hey! Are you listening to me? You're not listening to me. Your president is going to go to prison for treason. He's a cruel and stupid animal and he'll die in a cage. I'm glad you're silent. I'm glad you're afraid. I don't know if I believed that, but I was in my witch head. Anger makes me feel like it and lay a real curse. Before the racist gun fantasies went much further, Andrew brought up how he loves going to Chinatown for massages. And then for an extra $20, she'll give you what's called, I'm thinking, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, a sexy massage. And I almost for real interrupted to be like, actually, I think happy ending is the preferred nomenclature. <laughs> and Andrew and David went into a boisterous discussion of sex massages and what sex acts to ask for and for how much and what would she do for 30? Whoa, what would she do for 50? And I said nothing. But what I wish now that I'd done was stand in between them and in this, this tone say, you know what I love about a hand job in Chinatown? <laughs> and if they didn't acknowledge me, I would repeat it a little louder. Do you know what I love about a hand job in Chinatown? Which would be ideal, because when you repeat yourself, you sound crazy. And when people think you're crazy, they back off. I would know. And I'd say, I love how hand jobs are great to talk about on a public bus with children aboard. Ooh, I gotta run. It's my stop. Which it was. The timing would have been perfect. <laughs> there is a river of bad stuff running through us all right now, just by virtue of living in this time, in this place. And it's getting more difficult to abstract myself from it. I don't know anyone who's been deported yet. I haven't seen swastikas spray-painted on the schools and churches in my neighborhood yet. And in my daily life, I haven't witnessed the overt white supremacist ugliness reported on the news much until recently. I'm scared. It makes me feel crazy and not in the fun, fearless way that I like. 
But I, I leave room for hope that this is the weird last gasp of a dying ideology. Since October, bad men have lost their seats of power every week. Applaud for that. There's a good chance that words do have power, like the law is words that have power, like the law is a magic spell that can send cruel animals to prison where they die. We've got a great show for you tonight, guys. But first, kicking it off with one more piece before we get to our op-eds is the voicemail op-ed, and Tom's gonna help introduce that segment. So if you're wondering, what's a voicemail op-ed, huh? Th there's no phones here. Well, Erica is going to get her dang old mobile phone because she's from the information age. And what she's going to do is she's going to call a local uh, government official. Who, Erica? I'm calling Governor Bruce Rauner. going to call Governor Bruce Rauner and yammer at him, and he's got to listen to it later. It's fun. You're going to love it. And also, you can do it your own at your own fucking leisure at home with your mobile phones because you too are a computer person. And if you feel afraid of talking to a human, you can just do it, social justice coward like me, after hours. Mm -hmm. Maybe they delete it and maybe they don't. You maybe don't know. Don't know. You never know. Possible deniability. Mm -hmm. Just say they listen to it. Here we go. Uh, record your message at the tone. When you're finished, hang up or press pound. Okay, here we go. Hi, my name is Erica Dreisbach. I'm a constituent in Chicago, zip code 60618. I'm in Chicago, obviously. I'm a flaming liberal, and obviously I don't like anything that the GOP is doing, and even this Republican governor, which I love everything that Jeannie Ives is attacking him for. Jeannie Ives, is, was, uh, she's upset about making it easier for trans folks to change their birth certificates, and I'm really proud of the governor for doing that, but I think the only way that you can have a shred of credibility is to leave the GOP now. Go independent, baby. Now is the time. Be free. Dunk on Trump all you want as a free, independent governor, because I don't want to vote for that billionaire Pritzker. I don't want to vote for him. I want to vote for my independent Ronner signing leftist bills, a red guy in a blue state. Be free, baby. Be free. Bye. Thank you. Now we come to the op-ed portion of the skewer. Our first op-ed writer. Oslam Elgin is a writer for IO's talk and sketch show POV and also a writer for the monthly talk show Good Evening with Pat Whalen. She is hands down the best Turkish comment comic at the skewer tonight or ever. I can vouch for that personally. <laughs> Welcome up, Oz! Yeah, um, speaking of me too, yeah, me too. I too have been harassed, felt uncomfortable, witnessed abuse, stayed quiet, was afraid, felt powerless, got angry, became outraged in the face of male coercion, intimidation, and domination. Let's make this clear, sex is the context, but we're really talking about power here. So it's gonna be tough 
Um, I'm going to try to give you a few good laughs, but in case I am not funny enough, post-show, I'm willing to tickle you. <laughs> of course, with your explicit consent. <laughs> Speaking of consent, that gives me a seamless segue into Aziz Ansari's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad date, which was revealed in an article published by Babe.net. Seriously, if I were to come up with a name for an for a um, publication online that's a kind of claim, claiming to be feminist, that would not have been the name that I would have chosen. <laughs> but then again, what do I know? I voted for Hillary, so. <laughs> the article fell into the interwebs like a Molotov cocktail. Side note, Molotov cocktail is not a cocktail. <laughs> and yet an Irish car bomb is. <laughs> Weird. Bartender, Molotov cocktails for everyone. <laughs> We're going to leave the show as an angry mob. <laughs> so the Babe.net article reveals the details of Grace, her pseudoname, Grace's first and last date with Aziz Ansari that made her quite uncomfortable. She felt harassed by the strange course of an awkward sexual advances by Ansari. She describes one act where, where he sticks his fingers into her throat in a V-shape and for lubrication, it has to be porn, right? I mean, he's watching too much porn. I don't know. Uh, so, but has Me Too movement gone too far where no woman has gone before? Grace had legs, so why didn't she just leave? I have to admit that was my first reaction too. But then I realized all the times when I had legs and I never left. And all, all the times that my mom never left and my grandma and we all got legs. So, Me Too is not a movement. It's the nightmarish reality that we perpetually live in, now in hashtag form. Some call it the witch hunt. Oh, the irony. Using the phrase witch hunt, which originates from unfair persecution of women to criticize Me Too. All right, on a 10-point scale, from Aziz Ansari to Harvey Weinstein, think about it, I am lucky <laughs> that the most of my kind of uncomfortable interactions uh, with men were on the lower end of the scale. Still, I encountered many a stable genius out there. <laughs> once, <laughs> once in sixth grade, a boy pulled a trump. Yeah, I was in sixth grade and a boy pulled a trump and tried to grab me by the lady parts. You know, the hoo-ha, the vajayjay, the cooch. It was as if this gangly boy with no facial hair had traveled into the future, seen Trump saying, grab him by the pussy, and then returned and tried it on me. After I used my superb athletic skills to avoid capture, <laughs> um, my first emotional reaction was shame. Why was I the one who was to be ashamed? Why didn't I say something? Why didn't I use my superb athletic skills to lunge and grab him by the ding-dong? <laughs> Why didn't I report it to my teacher? Why didn't I say anything to anyone until the 26th episode of The Skewer? So in an ideal world, how would that interaction uh, have unfolded? Boy, hey, <clears throat> I like you. Can I pull your hair or touch you inappropriately or something? Here the boy is asking for consent. <laughs> um, me, 
not a good idea. Um, why don't you get a Snickers bar and like share it with me? Boy, I got no money. Me? Fine. I roll my eyes and buy a, Snicker, buy a Snickers bar and share it with the boy. Then we make out. I think that would have been fine. <laughs> okay, back to the future. Aziz Ansari and all the places he went. His story is especially disappointing because he was one of the good guys. We knew him as a cool, progressive, funny guy who called himself a feminist. Then we find out about the bad date, and this is not how a bad date would go with a feminist. A bad date with a feminist would be something like him asking you to pay for his dinner because he's not threatened by your financial superiority. <laughs> I went to Smith College. Those of you who don't know, I'm a Smithy. I'm proud of it. I went to Smith College. It's a small uh, liberal arts college, a women's college in Massachusetts. And it was an awakening. Uh, my first week on campus, I was very confused. So I saw two girls holding hands, and I thought, oh, they're good friends. <laughs> Context, I'm from Turkey. Never met a lesbian or gay person who was out. I'm sure I met them, but they were not out. Yeah? So. so then um, I see them hugging, and I say, oh, they're really good friends. <laughs> and then I see them kissing, and I say, ah, oh, they're really good friends. <laughs> And then I realized that lesbian is not a bad word. And then my world changed. And then I called my mom and I said, hey mom, there are a lot of lesbians here. <laughs> She's in Turkey, by the way. And she says, oh my god, don't let them attack you in the shower. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. See, what I learned during my education at Smith is that no lesbian will ever attack you in the shower. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I was a lesbian. Alas, I like men. I wish all men were lesbians. <laughs> so I've heard a few guys complain that they can't even flirt anymore due to the fear of doing something wrong. If coercion, intimidation, and domination are your only methods of flirting, Dudes, you all need therapy, more than we do. Um, <laughs> as a man, if you're wondering what is appropriate to do on a date, ask yourself, what would a lesbian do? <laughs> ask yourself, what would... <laughs> ask yourself, what would Ellen do? I think that's a great way to check. Okay, let's imagine in an ideal world how Aziz Ansari's date could have gone. First, Aziz apparently only had white wine to offer to Grace. In an ideal world, a Golden Globe winner would have both red and white. <laughs> Unbelievable. Second, instead of sticking his fingers down her throat for lubrication, he could have stuck with charming conversation and tasteful seduction. <laughs> Less porn, more poetry, maybe. Conversation is a great social lubricant. <laughs> Third, instead of coercing her to give him a blowjob, he could have acted his age, 34, and taken it easy. 
instead of behaving like a horny high schooler who has to get laid ASAP, otherwise he'll be the last remaining virgin on his debate club, <laughs> he could have just Netflix and chilled. I saw this great poster during the Women's March a couple of weeks ago, and it said, even my dog understands the word no. It's a great poster. It's true. But why didn't she leave? She had legs. See, it has nothing to do with legs. It has to do with empowerment and unlearning all the things we've um, unwittingly learned to tolerate. Replace Grace, the 22-year-old, with my superhero, Tammy Duckworth. An Illinois senator, an Asian American, a woman, a mother, a wife, a veteran, and a double amputee. She would have military crawled out of there in lightning speed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Aziz would have never had the guts to try anything of the sort with her, because next to her, he's truly a master of none. <laughs> so this argument that she could have left, she had legs, has no leg to stand on. <laughs> I love puns. <laughs> I did that last time, too. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Bad means different things to men and women. I read this great article on The Week by Lily Loofbro. Bless her parents for naming her Lily Loofbro. <laughs> Lily Lou. <laughs> her article is Female Price of Male Pleasure. Lily talks about how men and women have completely different scales for bad sex. Men think, men think, men think how men, sorry, men, Jesus, I can't talk. Men thinks bad sex is a passive partner or a boring experience. For women, bad sex means coercion, emotional discomfort, or even physical pain. So women have been putting up with discomfort for a very long time. Take Brazilian wax, for instance. It can, it can legitimately be used as a torture method, but it's so brutal that CIA went with the gentler, kindler waterboarding instead. There is a garment called pencil skirt. It's so narrow that it makes walking the thing that makes us human really awkward. Guys, put yourself in our shoes. No, really, anyone size eight and a half here? I, I want you to try my on, mine on. I, I can totally give them to you. Anyone? Eight and a half? Don't be afraid. <laughs> All right, see me after. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, there are things called spanks or corsets. There's furniture designed to accommodate women's suffering called fainting couches because women's fashion sometimes prohibits oxygen intake. Waxing. Laser hair removal, dieting, cosmetic tattooing, Botox, skinny jeans that cut circulation, bras with metal wires, and thongs, because who doesn't like a permanent wedgie? <laughs> we have learned to endure and normalize pain and discomfort. We have internalized as a society, not just as women, but as a society, a series of double standards. We put up with so much shit all the time. So when you say, if Grace was so uncomfortable, why didn't she just walk out? I ask you, where do we go when we walk out? It's in the, it's, this is everywhere. It's in the air, it's on the streets, in the grocery store, on the L, in nightclubs, on dates, online, at home, on TV, everywhere. There's no place where this is not happening. We can't leave the planet yet, but ladies, 
Elon Musk is gonna give us women our own planets. That's what SpaceX is about. X, chromosome. <laughs> you didn't know that? <laughs> and he's a lesbian. <laughs> Thank you. My husband and I have a running joke about male lesbians because sometimes when I meet a, someone who self-identifies as a male lesbian out in the wild, I think, all right, you just mean that you like performing oral sex on women. Like, good for you. But can you even sing one verse of Magnolia Street, bro? And that's for the OG lesbians out here dating women in the early 2000s. If you were dating a woman back then, you can sing Magnolia Street by Katie Curtis. I don't like Katie Curtis. I have seen her five times <laughs> so now I can my husband's a little bit like a trained husband I'll say like sing me sing me some Magnolia Street baby prove that you're a male lesbian and he'll go we fell in love on Magnolia Street <laughs> you touched me and it, you felt real soft I'm like good that's close enough baby our next writer is Callie Hack who loves a lot of things like hugs high fives and nachos and is afraid of even more things like heights the future and city drivers with strong emotions she's a full time copywriter for a toy company and freelances for beauty and satire sites please hire her to write for you Callie Hack My mom gave me a desk plate that read, Genius at Work, which is not only just a weird gift to give an eight-year-old, but also, like, very presumptuous of her. <laughs> but this was also the year my mom decided I might be, like, a real smart kid. And the way she was going to test this theory was by having me read Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. <laughs> you know, just a standard eight-year-old smart test. Have you ever read Wealth of Nations? And neither have I really, but I sure as fuck tried when I was eight. But it's a 950-page book about the philosophy of money and the concept of free trade. It's like the infinite jest for the mediocre white men of 1776. <laughs> like none of them read it, but they all sure as fuck pretended they did. <laughs> so I was a big-time disappointment to my mom. She realized I wasn't a prodigy, and I realized I was probably never going to make my mother proud. But I wanted to so bad. So I don't want to brag, but this led to a very unhealthy obsession with perfection and anxiety. So my second grade journal was littered with entries like, I've been exhausted and overwhelmed my entire life. <laughs> and this was during the Clinton era, you guys. Like, <laughs> imagine what I'm like now. But I also assume like we're all anxious right now. And if you're not anxious, like you either like don't have a Twitter account or like, you might be a Nazi. So, oh, that hit hard for some people. I hope there's no Nazis in the room. Um, so I'm gonna tell you about my most favorite panic attack, my least favorite panic attack, and then end it all with just like why we're all fucked. So, my most favorite panic attack happened this year during this administration at the first Women's March. 
So I rode in a van for 14 hours with seven other women so we could all go for a long, long stroll together in another city. So we woke up at 7 a.m. I was fresh, I was excited, I was ready to take down the patriarchy, and I had only one cup of coffee. I packed no water, no food, because I am not smart, which is something my mom found out very early on, <laughs> and I am still learning to this day. So the march, as you may have heard, it was very successful. It was so successful that the entire plotted layout was just like filled with people. So imagine like a maze that's like, you've put so many rats in it that they can't really go anywhere. They all just like kind of shift around and apologize to other female rats for being in the way. <laughs> and they follow each other into corners and roundabouts and they're just like, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry. No, oh my God, it's all my fault. And we did this for about, from 8 a.m. to like 3 p.m. <laughs> and I should also tell you, I'm like, I'm not great with crowds. Like I'm a short lady and I get overwhelmed very easily. So I became like this corgi puppy in like the middle of horses <laughs> or like a rescue dog when it hears fireworks or a, a man's voice. And I just start to panic. And I'm getting ping-ponged around all between these horses' legs in just the slowest fucking motion. Like you, it's, you don't walk fast and I hate not walking fast. So I'm just like shifting around and my vision starts getting blurry and my head is pounding and I start having hot flashes and I get sweaty and I'm just sucking at the roof of my mouth trying to get any sort of hydro like any sort of water and moisture into my body and I remember reading that it was recommended if you feel this way during the march to find the edge of the crowd so I start like shifting to the left like shuffling over and I don't know why I thought the left was the way to go, but I did. So I was shifting over to the left, and then I see this man, and there's a woman on his shoulders, and he like calls up to her, and he's like, how's it look out there? And she's like, there's people as far as the eyes can see. And then I fucking lose it, and I'm like, there's no goddamn edge. I am going to die. And so I walk over, and I just drop on this patch of grass, and I just start crying. And then, in a beautiful moment, these women just start circling me, like vultures, but if, like, vultures were nurturing, <laughs> and they, like, pull water bottles from their purses, and they, like, steal granola bars from the hands of babes and chew them up and spit them in my mouth like baby bird. And then they had me lay down... And they covered me in their coats, and then they were like, light as a feather, stiff as a board, light as a feather, stiff as a board. And they levitated me over to the EMTs. And just when I thought it was going to be, I was like, this is brilliant, I wish women ran the country. One woman leaned down, and she was like, 53% of white women voted for Trump. And then like, poof, they were all gone. <laughs> Or at least that's like how I remember it happening. It was all very fuzzy, so I'm not sure. So that was my favorite panic attack. My least favorite one was probably like five minutes ago before I came up on stage because talking in front of people is terrifying. So I'm no stranger to anxiety. I fucking, I sleep with a goddamn weighted blanket every night. So then last month, there was an article that was released by Science Alert that said anxiety has a distinct link to Alzheimer's. In fact, anxiety is the early manifestation 
of the Alzheimer's disease, which is terrifying for people who have anxiety. <laughs> which I'm sure we all do right now. It's like Nazis, anxiety. Russia, anxiety. North Korea, anxiety. Being a woman, anxiety. Did you know two-thirds of people who have Alzheimer's are women? And it's because we're scared all the goddamn time, you guys. So I have some tips for us to get rid of anxiety so we're not like these, become these dimension-riddled generation and just bumping into each other like rats when we're older, asking for directions and not knowing anything. So here are some tips. Meditate. Take a bath. Or better yet, go to the beach. Enjoy the fresh air. Collect some beautiful sea glass and just rub it between your fingers and feel the smooth texture. Enjoy the small moments. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath in. Let it out. And then find the sharp edge of the glass and slit your wrist and walk into the ocean. <laughs> Let's just all kill ourselves. <laughs> or just like, Let's live long enough that you forgot I suggested that. <laughs> so, either way, we're here, we're alive, and one day, very soon, we're gonna forget that this night ever happened. Thank you. Allie Hack, everybody. Next up, before we have our next op-ed writer, we have got part two of our infamous news quiz, as yet undefeated. Kevin, come on up. This, the news quiz isn't really that hard. I get it right every time. <laughs> I need you to know that. First, I want to say, yo, it's real cold tonight, so thanks everybody for coming out. Because you could have stayed home. Uh, but yeah, I do need another volunteer. Someone. Damien. Hello. Hi, what's your name? Damien. Damien. I'm Kevin. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Say that again. Uh, I said fuck you. Anyway. <laughs> no, I've, I've, he's been like a roommate. I've, I've known him since college. It's, it's been a very long time. Anyway, you know how this goes. All right, first story. Florida man accused of tacking an ATM for dispensing too much cash. <laughs> Second story. In Georgia, a police... I mean, sorry. The police arrests over 60 people in a house party for one ounce of marijuana. Also known as the devil's lettuce. Just that, you know. Everyone knows that. Third story. A Prince fan in Michigan hacks the PA system in a Chevy factory and plays Little Red Corvette for hours on end. Those first two sound entirely too plausible, so I'm going to go with number three. You're right. You are right. So, so what actually happened in that story is that there was an NWA fan in New Zealand and he hacked the police radio and for days on end played Fuck the Police. Which is, which is fucking primo. Good job. Okay. Second set of stories. 
An ultra runner is accused of winning races by taking an Uber. I guess, I guess that really is the ultra running, just taking a car. Whatever. Uh, story two. EPA administrator, or administrator rather, uh, wore a disguise to spy on a driving test, her daughter says. Three. A pastor admits to a sexual incident with a teen 20 years ago and gets a standing ovation. I'm going to go with number two. You think this is like, wait, wait, don't tell me. (laughs) I'm sorry, but uh, it's the Ultra Runner. He didn't take an Uber. He actually just hid in a porta potty near the start (laughs) end and then was just like, oh, cool. All right, your third set of stories. For over a decade, two pharmacies just four blocks apart dispense some 20 million prescription painkillers to a town of just 3,000 residents. That's funny and sad at the same time. Story two. Trump's 24-year-old drug policy appointee was let go at a law firm after he chugged from the company's award. Do you get that? Do you get all that? What exactly was the award? I don't know. I guess some fucking sort of trophy where you can put alcohol in that bitch. You know, you can chug from it. Sure, like the Stanley Cup for law firms. (laughs) (laughs) Yes Sure Uh, uh, Third story There's a cryptocurrency startup called Prodium uh, That pulled an exit scam And left a penis behind (laughs) Okay well I know that first one is true I read that one Uh, Don't remember the name of the town But I know that it's it's a fact The third one also sounds plausible Because crypto scams are a thing right now I'm going to go with number two again you, you are correct. Okay, so just a clarification on that headline. They did leave a penis behind, but like they took down their website and just left the word penis. There was not a severed penis, just so you know. And uh, the 24-year-old uh, drug policy appointee uh, was fired because he just didn't show up. Which is cool, I guess, anyway. Uh, but yeah, thanks, Damon. You got two out of the three. Get yourself a no sticker. Problem. Thank you. Welcome back to the stage. Lover of uh, hand jobs in China, Sam. Eric. It's Kevin. Y'all having fun tonight? Yeah? Woo! Just a reminder that you can show your appreciation by dropping some bucks in the donation bucket up front and by drinking heavily and tipping your bar staff generously. You can also check out our merchandise available. We've got the Skewer book. As well as some pins and some stickers. That's right. If you want to relive 2016... (laughs) Soon, we're going to be coming out with Best of 2017, so you can relive that year as well. Uh, For our next op-ed writer, Kayla Lane is a writer and comedian in Chicago. She recently took her one-woman sketch show, Sad TV, to New York City as part of the SoloCom Festival. You can find her on all social media, except Facebook, at Kayla Lane. Welcome up, Kayla Lane. (laughs) 
I'm reading from a tablet because we live in the future. <laughs> All right. Guys, it's 2018 and we made it through the very first month. I think we all went into this year with very low expectations because no one's hoping for things to get better at this point. We're just perfectly satisfied if things just don't get worse, just like a nice, stable plateau. But it seems like not all entities got the memo that like, hey, let's just chill, lay low for a while. Uh, let's just wait this shithole of a year out. Nothing crazy. Uh, among them was Bitcoin. Speaking of <laughs> cryptocurrencies. Yeah, the price of Bitcoin skyrocketed throughout the last quarter of 2017, prompting many first-time investors to stick some of their hard-earned American capitalist dollars into the imaginary internet bank of blockchain, only to see <laughs> the bubble burst and deflate faster than Roy Moore's erection finding out she's 22. That was a cheap joke. I wrote that one in the Uber here. Uh, but despite my lack of both a Reddit account and a neck beard, I must admit, I do in fact own Bitcoin. Uh, I own 0 0.0272 Bitcoin, so less than 3% of a single Bitcoin, which at the time I conceived of this essay was worth $1,150. And at the time I started writing this essay, it was worth $478. And at the time I'm finished writing this essay, it is worth $576. And I'm going to look up and see how much it is currently worth. I have it on my phone. I'm going to refresh. It is currently worth $605.12. So thank you. I paid $450 for it, so I'm feeling very good about this. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to assume that the overwhelming majority of you in this room, by virtue of being here at a bar socializing with people using your eyeballs, do not own Bitcoin. <laughs> and you are likely very proud of that fact. I'm not an idiot. I don't spend money on shit that's not real. I save my money for important things like $14 artisanal cocktails made from the tears of a dolphin and sneakers with photographs of other sneakers on them and apps on my phone that remind me to put down my phone and move my human meat sack so I don't get gout like some sort of millennial prince. I understand. I, like you, am a savvy, hip, 18 to 34-year-old consumer. For a moment, please let me adopt the native posturing and lingo of the average Bitcoin user. Yes, I'm going to mansplain to you. <laughs> well, actually, purchasing Bitcoin isn't about buying currency in so much as it's about investing in blockchain technology that's going to revolutionize the way we share and protect personal data in Internet 3.0. And really, if you think about it, all monetary currency is just like an agreed-upon value system. And why wouldn't a currency of user-supported verification make sense in an ever-globalizing sharing economy? <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Uh, I'd like to urge some of you in this audience 
to invest in some Bitcoin. Why some? Why not all? It's a cliffhanger because I can't turn the page. Ah. <laughs> well, if there's one thing you know about me, it's that I'm a woman. I don't say this because I believe that gender is apparent and obvious from one's appearance. I say this because every time I meet someone new, I shake their hand and say, hello, I am a woman. <laughs> I like to disclose this information right from the get-go when meeting someone so that I am not accidentally entrusted with running a Fortune 500 company or, or major political office or a paycheck that rivals the average of my peers. <laughs> Safety first. And with this disclosure of indeed carrying the terrible curse of my sex, I know I've lost the faith of all of the men in the audience when it comes to financial advice. But that's okay. Because really, I'm here for the ladies. Currently, 71% of the Bitcoin-owning population around the world, the entire world, is male. And I'd like to see that change. Ladies, let's buy some Bitcoin while the price is low. Why shouldn't we? We are known for our love of a good closeout sale. This is the ultimate clearance rack at Target, except instead of questionable, vaguely Polynesian window treatments and candles made of boysenberry and elk milk, it's just invisible coins. Bitcoin for her. It doesn't crunch. It doesn't clink. It doesn't jingle because it isn't real. <laughs> Does your husband not permit you to go to a bank? Are your tiny feminine hands too weak to hold golden coins? <laughs> no worries. You can use your phone to transfer currency around the world from your Etsy account to your college roommate's Kickstarter to achieve her dream of creating a blog about scarves. <laughs> And here's a fun fact, a true, true fact. 90% uh, of the average working woman's income goes towards maintaining the health and necessities of herself and her family. So if our savings accounts are practically non-existent, why not make them literally non-existent? <laughs> also, Bitcoin, because it is based in the blockchain and not centralized banks, it means anonymous transactions. So that means no one's going to find out you use Bitcoin and try to explain to you how to use your own goddamn computer. No one's going to judge you if you spend $80 on Kylie Jenner lip kits. Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to call that feminism. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I love is living my life in such a way, WWPOSRD. What would piss off some Reddit dude? <laughs> Petitioning for diversity in the workplace? Working at a tech company and asking for a raise? Wearing slutty clothing and not wanting to have sex? Eating all the fatty food while I fart and pick my nose? It's unladylike. I want in. And what is more unladylike than investing in speculative technologies? I mean, no woman I know has ever had the money to do that. We're too busy shopping. So stick it to the man and buy some Bitcoin. 
most importantly, the reason I want you to buy Bitcoin is all these weenie boys are selling off their coins because they're scared and they can't handle a volatile market. But the whole Bitcoin thing is going to boom in the future. And who knows what will ha happen with the government and centralized banks then? Nothing is certain, but trends seem to show that the government's interest in women's rights, not really a priority. So let's go off the grid. Let's buy low and hold on to it for 10 years. Then when all the weenies whine about your newfound wealth, remind them that they were cowards, whereas you were a savvy investor. <laughs> Finally, my last call to action for all you ladies to buy Bitcoin. It refers to this well-known cryptocurrency caution called the 51% attack, wherein if one group of programmers collectively controlled 51% of the blockchain, they could cause irreparable damage to the entire technology by virtue of this majority. However, the existing 51% rule does not account for two things. One, what if that 51% were to use their majority for the good of the blockchain? And two, what demographic already makes up 51% of the world? <laughs> yes, ladies. If all around the world we got all of the women to go crazy and buy some Bitcoin, therefore giving us control over the preeminent blockchain technology that's likely to become the global standard for all currency and trade and data, we could do anything with it. Anything. Anything. <laughs> and of course, there are many very noble things that we could do with this power. There are tons of reparations to be made that could be made in a very economically sound and disimpassioned reasonable way. But I'm a lady and I think with my feelings, I can't be trusted. I am petty, I am mischievous, I am also very horny. <laughs> so listen, I don't know about you, but when I think of a nearly invisible tiny little pellet that's hard to understand but makes you feel amazing when it takes off and climaxes beyond your wildest dreams, I think of only one thing. Let's rebrand it as Clipcoin. <laughs> what? With the trending and the news, we would literally put Clipcoin on every man's tongue. And if it's a currency that's only designed to inflate when stimulated by external forces that put pressure on its holdings, I mean, what better name is there? At first breath, it may sound crazy, but if every piece of goddamn paper American money can have a picture celebrating old white rapists, slaveholders, and warmongers, it's not so crazy to believe that the magical robot dollar of the future cannot be a monument to female pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Kayla Lane Freeman, everybody. I'm convinced. I'm going home and buy me some Clipcoin tonight. Uh, before our last op-ed of the night, some quick housekeeping. Hey, do you know a funny writer? Are you a funny writer? Do you find yourself brimming with topical humor about the recent news but nowhere to share it? Well, we are always looking for new voices here at The Skewer. Come see me or Tom after the show. Or do the least you can do, which is like us on Facebook. <laughs> Our handle is The Skewer Chicago. 
or follow us on Twitter, where our handle is Elskewer. And if you do follow us on Twitter, unlike Spinoza's Twitter, we will follow you back. That's a joke for if you are familiar with 17th century Dutch philosopher Baruch Spinoza. I don't care if you think that I'm funny. I only care if you know that I'm smart. Our last... <laughs> our last op-ed writer for tonight is Farron Suarez, who is a digital... A freelance digital content producer based in Chicago in her spare time. She climbs shit and falls down a lot, plays board games, and explores the world around her. Come on up. Yes, my height. Uh, thanks, Erica, and thank you, Oz, Callie, and Kayla, for the awesome op-eds. Uh, women are really killing it tonight, right? Everyone give them a round of applause. Awesome, yeah. Um, so... Clearly, feminism has come a really long way in the past year, but I'm not here tonight to talk about feminism. Nope. Right now, I want to shine the spotlight on two groups that are often left out, or in some cases, shut out of the conversation entirely, the alt-right and obedient Asian women. <laughs> Last month, two op-eds were published, one in the New York Times and one in Vice, both written by Asian women about white supremacists and their Asian fetishes. In the New York Times piece, The Alt-Right's Asian Fetish, writer Audrea Lim reveals a dirty little secret that our friendly white nationalists actually have a preference for Asian women. Richard Spencer, who was famously punched in the face for being a Nazi, has a history of dating Asian women prior to his coming out as a white nationalist. When confronted, Spencer owned up to his past activities, saying, There's something about Asian girls. They're cute. They're smart. They kind of have a thing going on. But the buck doesn't stop with Spencer. Several other right-wing agitators are revealed to be married to women of Asian descent, and the founder of neo-Nazi website, The Daily Stormer, posted a video of himself cruising around a megaball in the Philippines with his jail-bait Filipina girlfriend. Clearly, the message these men are sending is that white is right, but hooking up with a nice Asian chick is also a rite of passage. In the Vice piece, what's the deal with men's rights activists and Asian fetishes? Indonesian journalist Aliyah Marsha interviews David Bond, a digital nomad who's made a career of traveling across Asia and doling out advice to men who can't get laid. The secret? Get the hell out of the West and go to Asia, where women aren't indoctrinated into that feminist bullshit and still have respect for men like him. He's gained tons of fans across the world and on the infamous subreddit, The Red Pill. Yep, so, uh, of course... <laughs> Thank you. Of course, I had to go and visit the Red Pill to see things for myself. So if you're not familiar with the Red Pill, its purpose is the discussion of sexual strategy in a culture increasingly lacking a positive identity for men. It's very pro-men, very safe space for men who hate women. So if you feel threatened at all by the wave of feminism and intersectionality discussions that are now in vogue, the, real, the Red Pill might be the place for you. <laughs> Anyway, so there's this field report on the red pill titled Asian Chicks. It's very straightforward and very to the point. It was started by some 50-year-old dude who calls himself Entropy 7, who's lived in China for five years and has determined that not all Asian women are the same. Thank you! In fact, he finds that he doesn't really like Chinese women because they don't shave their muffs. They hate giving head, and they don't like fat people. So he found himself a 92-pound water bottle Filipina instead. In his words, she sucks dick, she shaves, and her skin's a few shades darker, her eyes a bit wider, and her English is better. 
Now, since our friend Entropy7 is such an upstanding citizen and loyal boyfriend, he wasn't able to sample any of the Thai chicks while he was in Thailand. So he sought out fellow men's rights activists on the Red Pill to discuss and celebrate the differences between women from different Asian cultures. These are his findings. Koreans, too similar to Westerners. Chinese, they're not submissive or demure, and so it's very misleading. The Japanese are willing to do everything in bed, except for number two. They're actively looking for gaijin, foreign men, and they're looking for a commitment. Cambodians, conservative, unlikely to date a foreigner. Taiwanese, they don't spit, but they have gorgeous, tight bodies, fantastic faces, and they eat carefully. Indonesians are liars and cheaters, and Filipinos are domestic. Yay, give it up for Filipinos, domestic. Um, The concept of owning another human being isn't novel. It's been part of our country's history since its founding. That's why systemic racism exists. But let's bring it back to Audrea Lim's editorial, where she talks about the perpetuating myth about Asian and Asian-American women, the idea that we are subservient and hypersexualized, especially when compared to Western women. This myth has roots in American post-war occupation of Asia. So after World War II, a network of brothels opened in Japan, servicing thousands of U.S. troops. During the Korean War, brothel owners set up camp towns near U.S. military bases, exploding about 300,000 Korea, Korea, Philippine, and Russian women. And in 1965, 85% of GI men surveyed reported having been with or been out with a prostitute. For most of these women, the only way out of the sex trade was to marry a GI, and there had been more than about half a million marriages between Asian women and male GIs since World War II. The sex industry during the Vietnam War wasn't really much different, and human trafficking today is still a very, very real issue in the Philippines, Thailand, Malaysia, Laos, Vietnam, and Cambodia. Humans are still being sold to other human beings. Aaliyah Marsha remarked in Vice that sometimes it's difficult to suss out whether or not a man likes you for you or if he likes you because you're a tiny Asian woman. So I created a simple BuzzFeed quiz to help aid the justifiably confused, especially in a world where online dating is often treated like a sushi bar. This quiz has been scientifically vetted by me, a token Asian woman and a marketing (laughs) professional, so you should absolutely take everything I say here very seriously because it's all 100% true. So I'm going to give you... Five ways to tell if your boyfriend has yellow fever. (laughs) Number one, are the majority of his exes Asian, despite him living in a place where Asians are the minority? (laughs) Bonus points if you notice that his exes have absolutely nothing in common except for the fact that all of your ancestors were born somewhere on the continent of Asia. (laughs) Number two, konnichiwa. Has he tried to greet you in Japanese and you're not Japanese? (laughs) Studying Japanese or currently in Japan? Chances are he wants to impress you with his knowledge of the Asian language because all Asians are the same, and it's too bad that you have no fucking clue what he's saying. But have no fear, he is now the subject matter expert, and he can teach you things. Number three, does he have a fascination with Japanese video games, anime, or manga? Now, this one is a little bit tricky because we are the Adult Swim generation and you'd be hard-pressed to not know anyone who wasn't a fan of Gundam Wing or Dragon Ball Z. I was. Uh, so, in fact, this point is actually uh, poses the danger of my- misdiagnosing our awesome nerdy friends with yellow fever. So, proceed with caution and ask this follow-up question. Has he asked you to try a sexual position that he saw in a hentai video, possibly involving tentacles? Run the fuck away. Number four. Does he own a yukata and he actually wears it? 
Now, this isn't an argument about cultural appropriation because I honestly don't think there's anything wrong with wearing a yukata, but it's just really weird when you knock on someone's door and they unexpectedly answered in nothing but a yukata, just free-rolling in the wind. This has happened to me three times with three different people. (laughs) Not joking. It's a pattern. It's weird. Um, And number five, has he relocated to Asia for the sole purpose of finding an obedient Asian wife? Actually, if the answer to that last one is yes, then he definitely has yellow fever and a ton of other things going on. Stay away. Out of curiosity, how many of you here aspire to own an oriental rug? Anyone? Anyone own an oriental rug? Okay, I'm not talking about my vagina, okay? Um, I mean an actual oriental rug. Like the yukata incidents, this is another thing that most guys I've seriously dated have in common. If they don't already have an oriental rug, because they're well-made, if you didn't know, they have a really specific reason for wanting one. It's a rite of passage, and being able to afford an oriental rug means you've officially entered adulthood, because that shit is expensive. I'm debating on whether or not I want to include that in my BuzzFeed quiz, or if I just have a type. Guys who like oriental rugs. (laughs) Maybe I should put that in my Tinder profile, instead of must-love dogs, must-love oriental rugs. (laughs) idea? No? Um, So I actually had to Google whether or not it was PC to say the word oriental, because surprise, I'm a lot more American than I am Asian. As it turns out, former President Barack Obama banned the term along with others from all policy documents in 2016 because it's insulting and outdated. And as former governor of New York, David Patterson, once said in an interview with NPR, it's how you describe rugs, not people. The term oriental was originally used in reference to the geographical region southeast of the Himalayas, but the word has been warped to mean something different. It reinforces the idea that Asians were and are forever foreign and can never become American. These ideas help to justify immigration, exclusion, racial discrimination, violence, and segregation, and this is why we can't have nice things. (laughs) I think I'm nearing my time, so let me conclude with this. Many of the opinions I've expressed tonight have been told through the lens of heteronormative men, politicians, researchers, white supremacists. In fact, what stood out the most when I first came across Audrea Lim's op-ed in the Times was that it was actually written by an Asian American woman. Asian and Asian American voices are frequently not represented in the media and in popular culture. And so I'm excited now that in 2018, there's this movement to get more people from marginalized communities into positions of power, but we still have a lot of work to do. You may have noticed that while I use the words Asian and Asian American as a blanket term to cover one of the largest and most diverse populations of the world, I haven't mentioned South Asians. Yes, they are Asian too. As a country, we have yet to wrap our heads around the nuances between each individual culture. And in some ways, men's rights activists and the alt-right are ahead of the curve when it comes to recognizing the differences between people of Asian descent. Sort of. We can do better, right? We should do better. Um, And it starts with speaking your truth. Don't let anyone else represent you. Get up on stage, tell your story, or if you're shy, discuss it with a close friend or two and be an ally and listen. Don't invalidate other people's experiences just because you can't relate to them. And if you really want that oriental rug, then go get it. Don't let my judgment stop you. Thank you. All right, we are about to come to the climactic finale of the show, which is going to be a rock-socking debate. I have been anticipating for months. But first, we have Kevin with the final installment of tonight's fake news quiz. Yeah. 
I like that applause, though. Anyway, you know how this goes. Where's my third felon? Dear. Somebody. Oh. Were you, were you just voluntold? Oh my god. I do need to say that uh, the last time it was me and Ben as the darkest two on stage and we have beat it finally. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's Black Power. We're taking over. This is our show now. You know that, right? Black History. Yeah, there you go. What's your name? Onisia. Onisia. Yeah. My name is Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Hey, hello. I've seen you before. You've done stuff. All right, you know how this goes, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> So enthusiastic. All right. First headline. Welp, someone vaped a Tide Pod. That's, that's millennials for you. Uh, second, executed North Korean pop diva reemerges on Japan's version of The Bachelor. Ooh. Ooh, you didn't expect that. Third... The guy who played Barney is now a tantric sex specialist. Like, one of those is true, so... so I'm sorry, two of those is true. What am I talking about? Okay, so I think the second one is... false. Right? The Bachelor. Yes, you're right. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. She's actually spotted in South Korea and will be leading the North Korean band at the Olympics. It's, it's fucking weird. I don't know. It's really weird. Wait, so someone vaped a Tide Pod? Yeah! <laughs> yes! Okay. Yes. And also the guy who plays Barney is a tantric sex specialist. He was, he was before also. They just were like, you can't do both of these things at the same time. So he had to stop. Man. Just for your knowledge. Okay. Right? Ah, <laughs> uh, first headline. Okay. Doritos for her. Second, raw water. The unsterilized health craze causes Silicon Valley death. Raw water is exactly what it sounds like. You just don't use a filter. It's fucking stupid. Anyway. <laughs> the, the third, college is so stupid expensive that universities are setting up food pantries. Just like the millionaire? What is Okay. Three, I called a friend. Ooh, your friend is wrong. No! Wait, so colleges or Yeah. Where was I? <laughs> I was hungry. That's yeah, I don't know. No. So yeah, raw water hasn't killed anyone yet. I I'm hopefully like not enough people have drank it. Um <laughs> But it, it, it'll give you diarrhea and, like, you know... Wait, is raw water the black water? Not... Well, I guess it probably could be. Like, if you ain't cleaning it, I mean... It could, <laughs> there was like, this company, I think they were on Shark Tank, with black water. Black like, water? That's like fucking Halliburton, isn't it? <laughs> like, why would you name a company that? That's a fucking... Whatever. Okay, we'll just go to the next. Okay, okay. First story, first story. Thai Prime Minister leaves cardboard cutout to answer questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the news is so fucked up. It's, it's like I, you don't even, I don't even know what's real anymore. Uh, okay, second headline. Guillermo del Toro, uh, the Pan's Labyrinth... Um, what is he? What is, director, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, well, yes, I guess that's more relevant and recent. Thank you, yes. Just a woman explained to me. Jesus Christ. No, 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 anyway. Uh, anyway, he has seen a UFO. Wasn't terribly impressed. Um, or story three. Fans hold a candlelight vigil for the Yankee Candle Factory that just was destroyed in a fire. I Isn't it ironic? I have heard of none of these stories. <laughs> so, a candlelight vigil for a candle factory? Yeah. Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo saw a UFO. It wasn't, didn't care, really. It wasn't that great. And then the first one was the Thai prime minister that just left a carpet cut out for the reporters. <laughs> Everything is possible. Well, I already lost, so I'm. Um, you didn't lose. Yeah, you stepped I'm, up here, unlike these losers. <laughs> so you're a winner in our hearts, and you'll get a sticker. So sh- I have to think what is fake. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Dear God, please let the cutouts be fake because... Oh, no, that's so real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like some Trump-level bullshit, though. Like, right? um, uh, so the third story was fake. It was a Taco Bell that burnt down. They held a candlelight visual. Praise be. Praise be. All right. But thank well, you for coming up. You did a good job. Thank you. Tom with a sticker from the merch table. Erica's fishing something out of the backpack, and now it's coming up. Oh, it's the, it's the shiny bobble. That's right. Prepare us for the debate. So, thank you so much, Kevin. All right. Well, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. A major debate between two heavy hitters of Chicago's literary scene. First, we have Archie Arch J, an incredible writer and storyteller and a Moth Grand Slam champion. Clap. Clap. <laughs> He was published by The Rumpus this past fall. Welcome up to the stage. And up against him is Tom Harrison, co-producer and co-founder of The Skewer Live Show and Podcast, a Right Club multi-time champ, as well as game master on the role-playing adventure comedy podcast, Shuffle Quest. Coming up, Tom Harrison. The question they're debating tonight. President Trump has had a weird and rocky first year. He is the subject of an ongoing federal investigation where the charges may include no less than treason, has been the target of two of the largest political demonstrations in history, and as you might expect, has the lowest net approval rating of any first-year president for as long as there has been such polling. Yet, despite his ongoing and compounding failures, Trump's approval rating is actually held relatively steady. And his net approval has improved with white men. Why is this so? Tom, what will you be arguing? The the reason is because we're already dead and in hell right now. (laughs) And Archie, what will you be arguing? It's because we're stupid as fuck. (laughs) 
chemtrails and fluoride water. <laughs> and they will be debating tonight for the honor of the scar. <laughs> Who'd like to go first? I have been tasked with proving that we live in hell. <laughs> the easiest skewer debate of all time. Because look. Uh, but honestly, this is right up my alley. I, I know all about hell. I was raised Catholic. Uh, reason number one I know we're in hell. I was raised Catholic. Come on. <laughs> reason number two. Look who's here tonight. This bunch of sinners. <laughs> We're all leftists, which, as you know, is God's most hated mistake. <laughs> Constantly hating America and loving terror. Like, how many of you people out there in this room right now have done a major big time sin with a genital? <laughs> Maybe a vagina, perhaps a dingle? <laughs> Don't answer, I know. It's all of us. We're the dingle danglers. <laughs> I was I just knew I had to say dingle dangler. Anyway. So I was tasked with specifically proving that we live in biblical real hell. And honestly, the Bible doesn't actually say very much about the specifics of hell. There are no circles. <laughs> Uh, there are no specific torments for specific sins. That all came later. If we're going strictly biblical, all that we really know are these four things. Hell is earned. It is actively experienced, meaning you are fully aware of what's happening to you the whole time. It is agonizing, and it is eternal. Did those four criteria <laughs> sound familiar to you? <laughs> they should. Let's go one by one. Earned. We are a country that willingly killed our mind with Fox News and racism, but I repeat myself, and elected Donald Trump, that's a check, actively experienced. We live in the most media-saturated time in human history, where using a tiny computer that makes you depressed all the time is mandatory. <laughs> if we don't read the news every second of every day, we'll miss the executive order that makes it legal for Peter Thiel to drink the blood of any street child he can trap in a huge jar. Check on that. Three, eternal. Yeah, as far as I know. Hasn't ended for me. Has it ended for any of you? That's a check. Agonizing. Listen, you get it, right? There's a check for all of them. That's the bit. That's the, that's the joke. Uh, and if we go outside the Bible, as I think we must, I, the most accurate and evocative depiction of hell, at least that I could find, the one that most clearly reflects our current hell lives, are the paintings of Hieronymus Bosch, a 15th century Dutch painter known for his absurdly detailed triptychs. I would have printed one out, but I only have a black and white printer, and printer paper is very small. <laughs> but these absurdly detailed triptychs of hell, it's not just the details, all the tortures, the weird scenes, the grotesqueries, the guy with a bird head who's eating another guy with birds coming out of his ass. <laughs> The big, huge head with little arms stretching its mouth open so a bunch of little demons can pour out. It's the whole of it that gives his paintings their power. 
you step back and look at the whole thing, and it's just fucking overwhelming. It's almost impossible to take in. You just want to look away because it's exhausting to see. It doesn't look like anything. It's a fucking mess. The scale and geography don't make sense. Everything happens like one foot away from everything else. Yet nothing seems to affect anything. There's no follow-through to any of these little scenes. Nothing acknowledges that it's right next to something completely different. You look and look for some kind of anchor to hold on to, but there isn't any. It's just chaos. We look for patterns in everything. It's human nature. It's why conspiracy theories exist. Weird shit needs to be part of somebody's plan. There is a pattern. It has to be there. We refuse to accept it when there isn't. We crave order. We hate chaos. It is, quite simply, hell. And friends, we got chaos. Look at the world. Devin Nunez released a memo of literally no importance. But we were all obsessed, for it, for, obsessed with it for an entire day, which in 2018 time is like five months. And despite its meaninglessness, I still wouldn't be shocked if I got a letter from the government telling me I was legally required to change my name to The Memo. <laughs> Donald Trump has the worst brain of all time, loves to shout Nazi shit, and confesses to enormous felonies daily, and yet nothing occurs. And he is our fucking king. Consequences just fucking refuse to exist, and no one says why. There is no there there. Nothing follows through. Nothing touches anything else. Like, Mueller exists as, like, this fucking glacial blob of anxiety in the back of our minds, <laughs> plugging away in silence, ostensibly giving us hope, but actually driving us fucking crazy with inaction. Like, how are you not doing anything? Do you not see what we're seeing? It'll be fucking 2030 by the time he tries to arrest Trump, and by then President Tucker Carlson will have him fucking killed immediately. Every single person with any power over our lives, everyone with any ability to improve or worsen our brief existence is not only evil, but fucking dumb as shit. If I weren't able to gather every instance of Texas Senator John Cornyn demonstrating that he is dumber than the average baby, I would be up here all night. And yet to everyone with any real power, he is treated like a respectable mondo genius. It doesn't matter that he's literally never been right. He's old, rich, and wears a suit. That's all it takes. Don't try to find the pattern. There is none. Everything is noise. Everyone above us is a screeching demon acting purely out of chaos and malice. Absurdity bellows over us daily and nothing comes of it. We can't conceive of why it exists. Why is this happening? It must have a purpose. No, it has none. It's an overwhelming curtain of madness and there's no getting out. We live in hell. Try to deny it. I don't like when you insult babies. That's <laughs> I bought a lot of drugs on November 9th, 2016. <laughs> See, I had taken the whole week off of work to celebrate what I thought would be the election of our first female president. 
Instead, at 11 p.m. on November 8th, I downed half a bar of Xanax and a glass of red wine. And I prayed that the news would be different when I awoke. No such luck. And I don't know about you, but wow, I am like so proud of us as a country. This morning, I woke up to an ad that featured a man in a dress thanking Governor Rauner for letting him into the women's bathroom. Over the weekend, when a friend of mine posted an open forum about Steppenwolf's gender-neutral bathrooms, it took my artsy urban friends less than two hours to dissolve into calling each other communists and sexists. Bitches and bastards, if we can't even agree on how and where to pee, the only idea that really gnaws at my heart is fucking true. Americans are stupid as fuck. And we deserve this shit. It's been about six months since I've watched the news on a regular basis. The tipping point came when I realized I spent a few minutes every day pondering why Donald Trump is our president. The time I spent thinking about this reminded me of the way I'd feel when I was young and someone broke my heart. My brain endlessly searched for reasons to insist this couldn't be our reality. They will impeach him soon. The Mueller investigation will get him. Hillary Clinton will take over the armed forces and stage a military coup. I was desperate. I was in denial of a very big fact. Hillary Clinton ran a campaign based on the idea of a diverse America. Donald Trump ran on ideas that were, well, contrary to that. Stronger together versus making America great again. And in the end, America chose. Or did we? One of the hallmarks of intelligence is the ability to reflect. It feels like we, as a nation, are allergic to that. Donald Trump is president because of a fluke. Why does no one ever say this? No president has ever lost a popular vote by so large a measure, and no president has ever enlisted the Kremlin to get him into the White House. He won five battleground states by less than 1%, a statistical anomaly that is worthy of investigation. But it's going to be many election cycles until we know what happened in 2016. What is very clear, however, is that Donald Trump is a president without a mandate, and we are dumb as fuckistan for not treating him as such. Sure, the president has some very loyal followers. They say really smart things like, if Jesus Christ came down to earth and told me that Trump had colluded with Russia, I would say, hold on there, Jesus. <laughs> and they, they believe really smart ideas like, Sandy Hook was fake. And that God sent Trump to stop abortions. I don't like to call people stupid, but I will, and they are. <laughs> Dangerously so. And that, I don't mean that all Trump supporters are stupid. Some saw no hope in the Democratic Party, and some believe our society would be better off with a smaller federal government, but put them all together and you still don't have 40%. You don't even have 50 per, uh, 50%. This leaves an obvious open door for those of us who disagree with Trump. If only we weren't so fucking stupid. The greatest stupidity in America today is our tribalism. Republicans who hated Trump still voted for Trump because they felt a loyalty to their party. Well, fuck Republicans. You are represented by Meghan McCain on The View. 
And I'm tired of rich white people pretending they have the same agenda and values as poor white people just because they're white. In other parts of our society, we are so aggressive about shedding labels. Five years ago, I thought I was just a gay man. It turns out I'm something that falls on a spectrum. I'm a gray space that wonders what my pronouns should be. The fact of the matter is the amount of people who hate Donald Trump is too large a group to be contained in one party. We are socialists, we are Green Party people, we are centrists, we are libertarians, but we let the right, ourselves, and Russia divide us into Berners, Steiners, and Clintonites. Some of us even voted for someone who asked, what is Aleppo? (laughs) (laughs) I won't go into the frustrations of people shopping at Whole Foods when the choices were clearly Jewel Osco or a dumpster at McDonald's. But if we fall for that shit again in 2018 and 2020, my heartbreak won't even matter because Mike Pence will put me in a gay conversion camp. Am I supposed to be surprised that Trump's popularity among white people, particularly white men, is slightly rising? I'm not fucking new to this. White people have been given an image of golden days, golden days that never really ended, a time when being white undoubtedly gave you two extra points in every game. Do you know how many mediocre white men I have slept with because I have been unconsciously brainwashed into thinking whiteness equals beauty? I even considered fucking Tom. (laughs) Twice. Of course Trump's support with white people is increasing. His policies and rhetoric support white people, specifically rich white people. And you'd think that that would alienate his base until you remember that they think they deserve to be rich too. And the reason that they're not is Obamacare, Muslims, and Mexico. No one has a heart to tell them that their towns are dying, that coal is dying, that they need to do what Americans have done throughout the generations, reinvent reinvent yourself and your towns or move. Well, actually, Hillary Clinton did say that, but you know, bygones, right? There's a little Donald Trump in all of us. Part of us, no, really, part of us, (laughs) part of us all wants to help our own first, whatever that means to you. And we all want to speak our mind even if we're, done, we're not done thinking or listening yet. The longer Donald Trump stays in office, the more normal his behavior becomes, and the sooner we forget what functioning was. I fear this bizarre climate is our new normal. Remember when the internet and phones seemed so crazy? Maybe you don't, but I am old, and I do. <laughs> they slowly upended our world. First it was just a phone, then you could send messages. Now you can literally Tinder someone to fuck while grubhubbing a pizza from your toilet. <laughs> it was not a fad. It is our new way of life. Donald Trump is not a fad. Or more specifically, the effects of reality TV are not a fad. And you know how I know this? Because bitches on my social media went crazy when Oprah Winfrey made a speech at the Golden Globes. <laughs> but bastards on my social media call me not progressive enough because I support Kamala Harris. You know what that is? Stupid as fuck. And if we get there, I'll be happy to blame it all on chemtrails and fluoride in our water. Thank you.
some powerful opening statements. The gauntlet has been thrown. I'm going to now ask some questions of our debaters. My first question is for Tom. Tom. Second epistle of Peter, chapter 3, verse 7 says... But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until, don't look, the day of judgment, meaning that hell does not begin burning until the judgment day. Clearly, everything we know and love is currently burning to ash. Are you saying that we have already passed the judgment day? And if so, when was it? And if not... Do you know something that Simon Peter, first bishop of Rome and patriarch of Antioch, doesn't know? Okay. A few points before I address that. One, you would be so lucky. How are we going to say that after? <laughs> two, of course I'm going to look. I've had like two beers. I'm not going to remember all that fucking ecclesiastica you just fucking dropped on my dang head. Uh... Three, you are clearly, uh, I don't know what I'm looking, this is prepared. This is not going to help me. Three, you're abusing the fact that you know I was raised Catholic to, to, to leverage me with these damn scripture questions. Four, a, a judgment day was clearly fucking election day, where we were judged unworthy. <laughs> and plunged into this hell. I think it's obvious. Anyway, that's my, that's my bit. Uh, Archie, two-parter. Uh-oh. Uh, first, how many hours of Fox News must one watch before believing that Trump is a good president? And two, given that there's fluoride in the water supply softening our brains, what's the safest wet drink alternative? <laughs> well, you should see your boyfriend for that. Uh, or oh, I mean for myself, not for other people. <laughs> Um, you don't, if you watch one minute of Fox News, I feel like your life is ruined forever. You should only watch it to research how to understand stupid people. And actually, my dad watches Fox News, so I'm calling him out right now. <laughs> but that's all I have to say, yeah. What can we drink safely? Um, raw water. Yes. <laughs> is hot, which tracks with global warming as we witness it, but many rich, powerful men, including Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer, and Garrison Keillor, have been fired and publicly disgraced for being gross, which is cool. If we are in hot, hot hell, how can it be that something so cool is also happening? Erica, I, I think that you, you, you believe that you've trapped me in a gotcha corner. <laughs> not the case see here's the thing about any absolute really any, any sort of anything that you get at a, at a constant clip for a, enough time you're going to get used to it if I were to like get someone like nailing fucking nails into my hand with a big hammer first time that's, it's going to be bad I'll hate it I'll be like ow second time much the same but like when we get to like hammer or rather, nail number 50, I'm like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. Like, this is just my life now. <laughs> However, were I to see, like, off in the distance, 
through the clouds. Someone whose hands are like, oh, my hands are fine. I'll be like, no, I'm reminded of why this is bad. You see the point I'm making. We need to know that good still exists to realize how bad our shit lives are. Uh, Archie. Mm-hmm. Prince, yes. the legendary artist and performer, believed that chemtrails are produced by government planes that dust us with white trails of poison. Now that he's left us, rest in power. In order to wake the sheeple up to the truth, who is your ideal celebrity spokesperson or people to increase awareness? I mean, who, we can, who can we trust more than the Kardashians when it comes to anything? Yes. I mean, it's feminism, it's interracial love, it is everything that will bring us into a positive future. Yes, I go with the Kardashians, for sure. Last question. This is for both of you. I believe it was Monsieur Jean Possard who said in his landmark 1944 play, Huiclos, translated as No Exit, he said, hell is other people. Could it be that we are in French hell? Distinct from biblical hell. And that French hell is populated with Americans whose brains have chemically deteriorated. Yes, it is possible. And also, I think a, a, a great piece of uh, evidence that we are in French hell is the fact that the hashtag resistance of this country, almost to this day, I think there's some pushback, but until recently, held up French President Emmanuel Macron as a sort of uh, leftist idol, I'd rather not, not idol, icon of what we can strive for if we were to uh, not elect Donald Trump. However, if you will actually look at his policies, he's insanely racist and loves war. So, French hell, it's true. I don't know how many people here have been to France, but they have been really angry at us since we took away French fries and called them freedom fries. So it does not surprise me at all that they have given us hell. Thank you. That's all our questions now. Uh, Tom, I believe you went first for the opening statements. So Archie, you can go first for the closing statements. Uh, My opponent has argued that we are in a literal hell. That is literally not possible because there is no such thing as hell. It exists as a metaphor from a book written by people, kind of like the Chamber of Secrets in Harry Potter. And to anyone in this room who believes in a literal heaven or hell, I'm sorry to have to tell you that Santa Claus isn't real either. When I was a freshman in college, I emailed my professor because I thought my English class required a background knowledge of Christianity and Jesus. And as a Buddhist, I had no idea about any of it. I was told I needed to do my own research to catch up, and that was fine, because it was an English class about the people of England. This is the United States of America. Raise your hand if you went to church last week. Yeah, that's what I fucking thought. (laughs) That went better than I thought, actually. (laughs) Though people are very attached to the idea of religion, and we certainly have our own fundamentalists and radicals, let's be honest. 
We are not a religious country. And to state that we are in a literal hell is cherry picking religious religion for your own absolution of responsibility. I prefer to state that we are in, I prefer to think that the state we are in is because of karma. We deserve this shit because we don't know our own history. Today, I learned that only 8% of students in the South know that the Civil War was fought over slavery. 8% from the South. Whoa. Too many people today think their rights were given to them, that we've earned them simply by existing, and once written, they are safe. None of our rights are anything but temporarily safe. By these rights, I mean civil rights, the right to vote, the right to bring forward a sexual harassment case, the right to choose, the right to marry both someone of the same sex and someone of a different race, even the right to divorce and to own property. These rights were not given to us. They were hard fought for by people like Martin Luther King and Edith Windsor and everyday people who took to the streets and held their elected officials accountable. Thank you. So honestly, this is a government we get when we choose to always Netflix and chill instead of research and read. This is what we get when our political positions are from Mark Zuckerberg instead of listening to a candidate's boring political speeches. This is what we get when we are ignorant to the fact that there are rich, powerful people that want a dumb and powerless electorate addicted to distractions and our phones so they can manipulate us. It sounds nefarious, but it's true. Just look at the way education is being manipulated into something elite. We are not people to everyone. Unfortunately to some, we are just pigeons and peons. I'm going to give us the benefit of the doubt because no one could have predicted the way social media was used as propaganda in 2016. But there are no excuses now. If you want to get out of a metaphoric hell, it's quite simple, because it's not eternal. This March begins the Illinois primaries. This fall, the midterm elections. Look up the candidate and choose who most closely represents your ideals and, and has a chance to win. Then get out and vote. We are the majority, by at least three million. And we can change our karma. And stop looking to the gods for what we must do ourselves. Thank you. I've been speaking in a lot of generalities tonight, uh, but I have a fucking one-hit KO knockout blow that proves beyond all doubt that we live in hell, sourced from my very own life. <laughs> Consider that one of the most iconic parts of hell is that its punishments are ironic reflections of the victim's pleasures in life. Now, what are my pleasures? I write goofer jokes so that I can come on this stage every month and use them to wring meager laughs out of you people so that I can inject that sweet, sweet validation directly into my withered heart. <laughs> and I know that I live in hell because this January, I made the best joke of my life. 
the wording, the context, the timing, the delivery were all exponentially better than anything I have ever or will ever achieve. It was, without doubt, the peak of my life as a creative person, and this joke was said to an audience of no one. Some background first. I took a two-week vacation overseas this, de- this December because I'm white. <laughs> I come home after a miserable transatlantic flight on Aer Lingus, where I was given an Irish breakfast burrito. <laughs> a food crime, which I spurned in a big way. So when I get home... Jet-lagged to shit and suffused with that sickly ache that comes from long flights where you feel like your body just forgot to not die. I'm starving. And by the way, we're coming back to Chicago right in the ass crack of that miserable cold snap. You know the one. Uh, Even the walk from the Blue Line station to my apartment was enough to cut me to the fucking bone. We were coming from two weeks of 60s and sunny, and I'm trudging through these sub-zero temperatures. I don't have my gloves with me. I didn't bring them. I'm lugging two big-ass suitcases. (laughs) Folks, every cell in my hands was screaming for sweet death. (laughs) Finally, we get home, and I feel like absolute shit. Luckily, though, we're welcomed by some late Christmas presents that my family left, including one that I got for myself that I had been looking forward to the entire trip. This goddamn gorgeous wool sweater looking like a damn snack soft as the goddamn murdered body of a golden cloud a true must have in the Chicago winter I put it on for the first time and it's as good as I hoped it immediately warms and soothes my dumb ass body the weight was worth it so we have to stay up the rest of the day to fight jet lag uh, so I got to eat. I'm starving. Uh, now, surprise, there's no goddamn food in the house. We've been gone for two weeks. I'm not going to make someone deliver in this weather. But what I do have is some pasta. I look in the fridge. I find that I also have some sauce. Now, full disclosure, I know for a fact that this sauce is at least two weeks old. You know, I, that's just, that's me. That's my fault. Uh, so I open it up. I look in the jar. It looks normal. I take a sniff. It smells normal. I take a spoon and stir it up a bit. Maybe the rot is hidden beneath. I take another sniff. Folks, it's normal, is the point. I put it on the pasta. I eat the pasta. I have a delightful meal. Settle in for a while to while away the day until an acceptable bedtime. And then, like a switch turning on, I feel it. You know that feeling? when you just know you're going to puke and you know it's not going to feel any better after? It's that feeling that you like can never explain or describe after the fact, but when it shows up, you recognize it like your oldest friend. And I'm not talking about like alcohol puke, like, oh, I drank too much, or like upset stomach na- uh, nausea where you puke once and you're like, no, I'm fine. Uh, it's that deep shit where you're like, oh, my whole body is way broken and made of poison now. I grimly march to the toilet. I push my head over the rim. Uh, And you know how usually toilets look like normal? Uh, Like generally fine? Well, turns out that when you put your whole ass face into one, you notice that even normally clean looking ones are extremely disgusting. (laughs) 
So I'm like, I'm elementally exhausted, tired, confused, shuddering in disgust, and I know that the worst is yet to come. And it does. It comes in those absolutely crushing, full-body convulsions where every heave hurts shooting these thick sheets of pain up every muscle in my body. The vomit is viciously acidic, and I can feel the burn travel up my throat, and its acrid sting just explode in my sinuses. I can feel chewed, digested bits of pasta getting stuck in my nose. Folks, I had to blow my nose to blow puke spaghetti out of it, and it hurt a lot. You might think that this alone was hell, and yes, it was hellish, but we still have so far to fall. I looked down at my new sweater. The new sweater I was so excited for. Just pause, I washed it. Uh, (laughs) The new sweater I was so happy to have put on for the first time, like two hours ago. And I see that just a whole bunch of flecks of puke have splashed up onto it. And that's when I said it. Folks, the jokes I write for this show and elsewhere, I labor over for hours. This doesn't come super easy for me. I write, I rewrite, I speak them aloud, I turn them over and over in my mouth. I smooth out their edges, I massage them into shape. I do everything I can, and if I'm lucky, it's a B+. This joke, the one I said right then, did not even consult my conscious mind. It sidestepped rational thought and busted out of my mouth perfect. It felt like it wasn't even coming from me. It felt as if it was a ghost that had lived in my body since birth, and only then had I finally completed the ritual to summon it. Fully formed, and I saw its perfection in front of my face for a fleeting second before it fluttered away into ethereal nothingness for all time. And I knew I was in hell then, because this joke lived and died its perfect, beautiful life with no audience. In no other situation would it make sense. Never again would the venue be correct. Never again would it be appropriate. Never again would there be any context that could support it. It's unusable. I can't even tell it as an anecdote without, as I'm sure you're aware by now, a fucking truly absurd (laughs) amount of buildup the very scale of which will assuredly suffocate the joke in its fucking crib. The thing I said then, my lost opus, the perfect jewel sliding from my trembling hands into a bottomless abyss, the joke which, if you have any kindness in your soul, you will laugh at, was this. There's vomit on my sweater already. Tom's spaghetti. I rest my fucking case. Well, we've certainly been taken on a journey tonight. But one task remains before us. And that is to decide the winner. Would you like to be the judge tonight? Sure. Excellent. You, you, can just, you just have to sit and listen and judge. 
If you believe that the winner tonight was Tom, applaud now. All right, judge. If you believe that the winner tonight was Archie Arch J, applaud now. All right, I think the winner is pretty clearly Archie. Go vote, go vote, go vote, go vote, go vote. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anybody here read our dope-ass write-up in the Logan Squarest recently? Yeah! Thank you. The author of that dope-ass piece is here tonight. So if you haven't checked it out, check it out. Check out our merch. Come talk to us if you want to perform up here or want to learn more about that. And our next skewer is going to be... Wednesday, March 7th. What's that date? Wednesday, Wednesday, March 7th. I look forward to seeing you all there. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you liked what you heard, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. If you want to be part of the show, you can email us at skewerchicago at gmail.com or send us a Facebook message. Uh, If you want to see a live show, we are at Cafe Mustache in Chicago every first Wednesday of the month. Until next time, thank you for listening. We love you. Goodbye.